Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. In amongst the comings and goings of Westminster over the last few weeks, there might have been one event that slipped your attention. The International Ministerial Conference on Freedom of Religion or Belief saw religious leaders flock to central London to talk about persecuted people of faith. Whether it is Christians being attacked in Nigeria, as we heard about just a few weeks ago on this show, or Muslim Uyghurs facing a possible genocide from the Chinese regime, there is no shortage of persecution crises around the world right now. Hosted by the UK government, this conference brought together international politicians, civil society groups, parliamentarians from around the world and dozens of faith leaders to raise the profile of freedom of religion and to urge governments everywhere to step up action to protect persecuted minorities. Premier Sophie Drew was there and she brings you this report featuring Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Prince Charles and the former Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt. common purpose that we will defend the right of everyone everywhere to enjoy religious and other freedoms in peace he came to kidnap me because of the brainwash the anti-christianity education what i had in north korea freedom of conscience of thought and of belief is central to any truly flourishing society they were raped so they were raped severally by several men, it's like just gang rape. 360 million Christians are highly persecuted across the world today in the 21st century. We need to change this. It's the culmination of almost five years of collaboration between the church and the state. The International Freedom of Religion and Belief Conference is the first of its kind in the UK and for a brief moment in July, Westminster's attention is locked on persecuted people of faith around the world. For MP Fiona Bruce, the Prime Minister's special envoy on the subject, the next 48 hours have been a long time in the making. It's wonderful that around a thousand delegates from all over the world have come from up to 100 countries to talk about how we can tackle the issue of persecution across the world today. This isn't an issue that many people are aware of. Um, indeed, I've, in the run-up to this conference, I've been going around the country speaking uh, to church groups and uh, Time and again, people have come up to me when I've talked about the extent of persecution across the world and they've said, I had no idea this was happening. You know, when I say that a Christian is killed somewhere in the world every two hours for their faith, that 360 million Christians are highly persecuted across the world today in the 21st century, we need to change this. 
Outside of the House of Commons, similar sentiments are shared in the adjacent House of Lords by Baroness Cox, another political figure fighting tirelessly for the rights of believers across the globe. I asked God how to use the privilege of being able to speak in Parliament and the message came very clearly. It's a wonderful place to be a voice for those people whose voices are not heard and so many people's voices are not heard are suffering persecution. The majority of people suffering persecution in the world today are Christians. The conference has attracted notable figures from across the religious spectrum. Kicking off the discussions, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Most Reverend Justin Welby, took the opportunity to implore politicians in the audience to do more. When national leaders promote freedom of religion or belief, they have an opportunity to bring a wealth of wisdom round the table committed to the common good. They can also hold religious leaders to account for what they do with respect to protecting the freedoms of their and others' communities. For the most part, communities of religion and belief are grassroots groups which love their neighbours and nation and pray and work for its prosperity and peace. When you as politicians extend freedom of religion or belief, you show you care for your people. When you take it away, you show indifference. Whilst many would assume that a room full of religious leaders and activists from a multitude of faiths may have very few things in common, the opening statements are a reminder of how alike we all are in our pursuit of peace and unity. It's Foreign Secretary Liz Truss that earns the biggest applause. Ukraine is on the front line of this struggle. They are a free democracy, one of the first countries to join the International Religious Freedom or Belief Alliance, fighting for their future. Vladimir Putin and his enablers claim that Russia is waging a holy war, but in truth, they believe nothing is sacred. We are seeing growing evidence of heinous war crimes committed by Russian troops. Innocent civilians are having to shelter from Russia's indiscriminate bombardment in places of worship. Churches, synagogues and mosques are being reduced to rubble. Religion is proving to be collateral damage from Putin's aggression. To Ukraine's delegation in the audience today, I want to say the UK will not rest until you prevail and until your people are free to live, believe and thrive. In an interview with the Metropolitan Epiphany of Kyiv, primate of the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, Epiphanius I, he tells me he's overjoyed that the plight of Ukrainians is at the epicentre of the conference. I'm so pleased uh, that I have chance to participate in uh, uh, so uh, high-level international conference where we are talking about uh, promoting of freedom of religion and beliefs. We are delegates from Ukraine, and we, you know, that in Ukraine now is a, a, a cruel uh, war. On occupied territories of Ukraine, we can see the terrible violation of uh, fundamental uh, principles of freedom of religion. And we are so pleased that uh, here in this conference, uh, Ukrainian question is uh, put on top. We are fighting for freedom. We are fighting not uh, for our own freedom, freedom of Ukraine, but for, generally for freedom of uh, uh, Europe and all the, the world. We believe uh, in prevail of truth. We uh, believe that Ukraine will win. 
However, Ukraine isn't the only country where persecution is dominating the news agenda. In Nigeria, there's been a spate of terrorist attacks against Christians. On Pentecost Sunday, an attack on a church in the Ondo state saw 50 people killed during worship, including young children. College student Deborah Samuel is another victim. She was beaten to death and burned after sending a WhatsApp message to a group chat in which she praised Jesus for helping her get a good grade. Tiram, who worked in social care in Nigeria, tells me about one of the young girls she met as part of her work. Jume is a young girl. She was 16 years old when she was abducted from her family. And she was taken away with her younger, younger sister. And the family couldn't pay money. So as long as the family were not able to pay the ransom, they were raped. So they were raped severally by several men, it's like just gang rape. And going through that um, kind of rape every single day was terrible for them. So um, we, we actually helped them to go psychologically to recover from, from the effect of that. Now, um, because the family has so much borrowed money and spent all they had, they couldn't pay back the money, so they had to leave the community because of the stigma and the shame and then the inability to pay back the money. So it's really, it was really a, a, um, a terrible time for her because she had to drop out of school, so she's not going to school anymore. Um, and then the parents, it was just like if the family was, was destroyed, the stability of the family was taken away from them. Christianity is, is so huge in Nigeria. Um, is, is fear growing? Are people turning away from faith or are people becoming more sort of righteous in their faith, do you think? Yeah, I think the persecution is making people to be stronger in their faith and it's bringing more people to Christ. After the Deborah Simon, um, Simon killing, um, few Muslims became Christians because they just felt that what they did to her was barbarous. And so it's like opening their eyes to see who Jesus is and it's helping them to come to light. And I see a lot of them coming to Christ just by inner conviction, not by us preaching to them, but because they, they see the life and they, they know that this is the right thing to do and this is the right way. So I think um, the persecution is making Christians to be stronger in their faith and it's also bringing unbelievers to Christ. So it's making people to see why should I be forced to, be, to change my religion? Should I, why should I be forced to change my religion if it is true? Why won't he just convince me? So it's, it's, it's amazing what God is using the persecution to do. So we are stronger. I meet Richard Akibe in a corridor in the Houses of Parliament. As president of the International Organization for Peacebuilding and Social Justice in Nigeria, he's been speaking in the House of Lords, urging the peers to take more notice of the worsening situation in his home country. First of all, to remove the wolves over their eyes and, and, and take a decision to be realistic about what is going on. It doesn't, for me right now, whether you say it's ethnic or climate change or, or religious, which it is, now, by the way, it has graduated from being religious to being ethnic. Now the houses are getting interested in their plot, in their, in their, in their, in their fate against the Fulanis, and that's a dangerous, a dangerous trend. If anybody who knows what's happening in Nigeria knows that, so um, the UK government has the resources to know the truth. If they will be sincere with themselves, 
they will know that. So the first thing is to admit to what exactly is going on and what can we realistically do. Now, the UK budget on international relations has been reduced, 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 reduced. So that makes it difficult for the civil servant to do what they need to do. But the earlier we face the reality of what is going on, the better. And the, the, the first call I would take to the US, UK government is reality. And if they check history and see what happened in Rwanda and all these signs they got that they didn't do anything about, if they check history, how America rebuffed them for a whole year before they gave the slightest help to Winston Churchill, they will know that this is the time to stop being um, uh, to be in, in denial and do something definite about this. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Nigerian Christians may be seeing a rise in attacks from terrorist groups, but elsewhere it's the government that are attempting to silence religion. Timothy Cho is from North Korea, a country he's escaped twice. After his first escape in a prison cell in China, he met his first Christian. I wasn't a Christian in North Korea because it's very difficult in North Korea to know who can be a Christian. Once their identity of Christianity faith is discovered, they end up in prison camp. It is a political constitution. You become a criminal in North Korea when you follow other faith. The Kim family itself is a god. So, but when I escaped, well, I first met this missionary guy. I made twice escape. My first escape, when I saw this missionary guy, I thought he came to kidnap me because of the brainwash, the anti-Christianity education what I had in North Korea. So I ran away from him. I even thought when he touched the cross necklace, my finger was rotten away. That kind of brainwash from age two was processing. But God has been great. Eventually, when I couldn't even run away anymore in prison cell in Shanghai, that was my fourth imprisonment. And there, I met this gangster, South Korean gangster. He was reading the Bible, but very strange. Imagine what gangster looks like, but bringing Bible read. You may have to read because it's scary. <laughs> what kind of scary, strange evangelism? But he asked me, maybe you could ask God for your survival. Because what, what can you do? Nothing you can do in prison. It's the darkest, terrifying. So there was nowhere I could go. Turn in, then asking God. I didn't even know how to pray. But he said, just say amen at the end of your wishes. So that was my first prayer. God, I don't want to be killed. Amen. It started from there in prison cell. And eventually what miracle process happened where I am today. And so being even on that stage, speak and express freely, now living in the UK, it is, it is not something you are granted, but we have to all stand together. Because when persecution happens, the world can fall. This is actually from the beginning of creation, if we go back to, you know, where some talk about persecution. Even when Jesus was born, there was persecution was happening. But each time God urging our heart, why you have to stand for your brothers and sisters. That's what Corinthians, when one body suffers, the other body come alongside suffer together. 
So um, I am, I've been very honored to be able to stand alongside the parliamentarians and urging and inspiring parliamentarians with this what's happening. But also in the UK, we need more of this freedom of speech is available, particularly our faith. That conversation has to be flow. Because not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Although Timothy's powerful testimony started almost 9,000 miles away, Christians in the UK can't just sweep this issue under the rug. I meet Archbishop Angelos at a prayer breakfast in a hotel that has housed some of the biggest names in politics. He's the Coptic Orthodox Archbishop of London and agrees that Christians in the West have a duty to care. First and foremost, I think um, we've got to give thanks for the freedoms we have. Thank God that we do have them. We can exercise our faith freely and without hindrance, but also realize that there are many people around the world, Christians and otherwise, who don't have that that luxury and that comfort. And we have a responsibility first and foremost to pray for them, but then also where we can to act. Is there a a group that is particularly on your heart at, at the moment? I think as a result of my journey, um, I really look at anyone who suffers uh, as being on the same footing. Of course, there are some hotspots at times where people are suffering more. You know, we've seen horrible things happening, of course, in, in, in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, we've had Afghanistan before that, we've had Syria before that, we've had Iraq and Libya before that. Uh, and But that's then we, we look at China and the Uyghur community, um, we look at the Yazidis in Iraq. There are so many communities suffering and struggling. And we can't look at all of them at the same time, but if you're asking me, I have the same amount of feeling and love and sense of responsibility to do and to act for all of them. He's joint hosting the breakfast with the Bishop of Truro, another huge name in the world of freedom of religion or belief. Commissioned by Jeremy Hunt, Right Reverend Philip Mount Stephen was the man tasked with producing the Truro Report in 2019. He drew up a list of 22 recommendations for the government to take on. They accepted all of them. I feel as a, as a Christian leader that this is something that, that, that God has given me to do and to attend to. I feel grateful to God for calling me into this and, and I have seen God so clearly at work through this work as well. The fact that the UK is hosting such a major international conference on this issue I think would would have been inconceivable three or four years ago. So I think something really significant has happened. I think God has been at work and I'm delighted to be part of that. Your 22 points were all taken on. Mm. Um, When you come to an event like this, do you think progress has been made? Um, Do you feel a sense of pride? Mm. Yeah, I do feel a sense of pride, actually. I mean, I hope I feel humble about that. Um, but I do think that my review was part of a growing global momentum um, uh, around this issue. I think it's really important to say that there is a whole lot more to be done. Uh, the Foreign Office have reviewed the implementation of my recommendations. And yes, there has been good progress in some areas, but this is not a finished job by any means, and the Foreign Secretary herself uh, accepted that on, uh, on, on Monday of this week. So, yes, there's been good progress. Yes, there's more to be done. And, you know, the sobering fact, of course, is that the situation for religious minorities in the world today, uh, I would say, is significantly worse than it was three years ago when I started this work. So, uh, we, it feels like we're conscious, 
constantly playing catch up and we need to get we need to get ahead of the game on this. Why should Christians here in the UK be passionate about helping our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas? Mm. Because we're part of one body, because they are our brothers and sisters uh, in, in Christ. Uh, you know, they, they, they matter to the Lord immensely. He loves them just as he loves us. And uh, our faith should, should drive us to, uh, to love and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, let me say, also care for our neighbours. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan calls us to care for those who are distant and different from us, as well as those who, who share our common faith. Uh, in Christ, you know there are no there are no geographical limits to Christian love, and we must show uh, the love of the Lord Jesus indiscriminately to people uh, across the world. That's our calling. That's our duty, and we mustn't fail in it. Despite the importance of the issue, this first of its kind conference is at risk of being overshadowed by a new story breaking on the other side of the green. Government ministers and staff are resigning at a rate of knots. The Prime Minister himself would resign just 24 hours later. The Bishop of Truro is worried about the effect this will have on the all-important meeting. I am. I think, I think it's a, that's a proper concern. I think there is significant international momentum. I think one of the things I'm really concerned to do is to build a bipartisan approach to this issue. I think one of the real risks and dangers in the world today would be, for instance, to see uh, climate change become... Um, a concern simply of the left when it should be a concern of everybody. By the same token, uh, I think it's really important that freedom of religion or belief is not seen as the preserve of some people on the right, but that, that there is broad consensus across the political spectrum, even in the states, which arguably is even more polarised than we are in this country. There is much more of a bipartisan approach to this issue than there is perhaps on any other issue. And I think we need to, we need to see that in this country as well so that it doesn't become the victim of uh, the winds of change in, uh, in, 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 in political life in this country, but becomes something that's hardwired into the way that we do our business in the world. As the government scrambles to regroup, many have thoughts about what should be the priority of the incoming PM, including Lord Bethel, a Conservative politician. I really applaud the efforts that are being made. As you say, it's a really impressive uh, initiative by the government. Uh, I think Fiona Bruce in particular has done a, a, a terrific job. We're going to see the British government leaning into these issues, particularly in its bilateral negotiations. That's where the rubber hits the road, is when our ministers, in talking to uh, their counterparts in other countries, raise these issues in a consistent uh, way um, and in a courageous, fearless way. Uh, that is something that's just got to be a massive priority because it is through face-to-face -face meetings and through that kind of personal dialogue that these kinds of issues can really make progress. It feels like quite an uphill battle and it feels perhaps maybe at times like one step forward, two steps back. Um, do you think this is something that we're ever going to look back and think, look how far we've come, or is, is it getting worse? Listen, ultimately I'm incredibly optimistic. The values in which we're, uh, that we're championing are universal and timeless. Our opponents expect us to fade away and to lose heart. The most important thing is that we are consistent uh, and we are stalwart in our advocacy. This is a long-term game. We're in this for, the, for at least a generation. And the most important thing uh, we can be is consistent in our approach.
Before he pencils in his leadership bid, I managed to catch Jeremy Hunt, the man that commissioned the Truro report, prompting this conference in the first place. I'm incredibly proud, um, but I don't take any credit for it. I was just very lucky to have um, Philip Mount Stephen, the Bishop of Truro, who who did an inspiring piece of work and, and really made it fly. And I was actually very conscious of the political fragility at that time, and I wasn't sure how long I'd be Foreign Secretary. So I said to him privately, you know, let's make sure that we're not wasting time or each other's time with this. Let's try and do something that stands the test of time. And he really delivered. In fact, the Truro report has very few critics. Three years on, however, there are concerns that the government hasn't got any closer to accomplishing the goals Bishop Philip laid out. A recent review was highly critical of the supposed progress made. Baroness Cox agrees. If you could go back to the day that the report was commissioned, the Truro report was commissioned, do you feel it's exceeded the expectations you had that day or fallen short? I think it's fulfilled them in its published form. Very much so. I think the Bishop of Truro did a, a wonderful job. A lot of work still to be done to make sure that the recommendations are realised in full. Uh, there have been some good progress and we celebrate that, but there's a lot of work still to be done. As the sun sets on an unprecedented 48 hours in Westminster, it's clear that the issue of religious persecution isn't going away. 250 million Christians in 140 countries make up the most persecuted religious community in the world. It will take the efforts of all religions and religious people to speak up. For the sake of those fighting IS in Nigeria, for Christians escaping North Korea, for war-torn Ukraine and for so many more across the globe. That's it for this week's episode of Premier Christian Newscast. We'll be back next Monday morning. And to make sure you receive each week's show sent straight to your phone or tablet, make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. If you're enjoying the podcast, please could you give us a rating and a review on your app. This really helps us spread the word about the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 